The following broadcast may be disturbing for some listeners and comes with the following content warnings. Explicit language, otherworldly whispers, unreality, cult behaviors and rituals, sounds of choking and gagging, body horror, mention of drug use and addiction, being held captive, discussion and depiction of violence, gun violence, and a home raid, mention of terrorism and bombing, police violence and propaganda, talk of cannibalism, discussion of drowning, discussion of suicide, death, and child death. Listener discretion is advised. For the best listening experience, headphones are recommended. You are on the incorrect route. Rerouting. 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 K-I-L-L News, bringing you the shit you need to know. Sponsored by Wireland Ranch. And tonight we bring you news from the Mojave Logistics Corporate Retreat, which, as reported yesterday, ended an abrupt tragedy in the death of several employees. K-I-L-L News has received another leaked audio recording from a family member of one of the victims. We are aware that this recording will add to a steady stream of wildly conflicting reports from the event, but we have verified the authenticity of this recording and its source. If you or someone you know has information regarding this matter, please send an email to info at kill-fm.com. Sensitive content warning. If anyone finds out about this, they might actually put us to death. This is like treason-level shit. No one would believe it even if they saw it with their own eyes. You worry too much. And what can they do now anyway? If there was ever a game being played, then we've won. Nothing else matters. I just hope I don't get picked. Oh shit. I think it's starting. Now, I am proud to bring to this stage my mentor and your illustrious CEO, Nathaniel Godwin. Here he comes. (laughs) (laughs) Thus far, our creation has been maintained. Its origin point, on the other hand, had to be controlled in a more permanent fashion, as many in this room know. The Chernobyl variant showed early signs of sentience. Our first clue was the way that it gathered and swelled and seemed to be feeding on the local wildlife, incorporating the molecular makeup of the animals into itself. Before too long, we realized that the byproduct of this process, the waste, if you will, were terribly altered caricatures of the original creatures. 
early attempts to rein in the original entity were met with aggression and repelled with violence so absurd. In some cases, it bordered on cartoonish. As a matter of fact, the only thing we know for sure about this entity is that it was quite imaginative. So we did what had to be done, and while the public would never understand, Philistines that they are, trust that we have their best interests at heart, and we are glad, we are so glad, that you could all be here to join us on this momentous occasion. We hope that you choose to do your part in the coming days, as we must all come together to bring our goals to fruition. Now, if you look under your seat, you will know if you have been chosen. God speed to all of you. Oh no. Did you get one? You're listening to Kill FM. Brought to you by... The Moon Crown. We interrupt your current program to ask that you please stay inside. All right, gentlemen, I have exactly five minutes for the press conference, therefore I'm not going to answer any questions. This is an official civil defense film produced in cooperation with the Federal Civil Defense Administration. Maybe there are strange broadcasts you run across. Tuning through channels, suddenly our reality has been revised. I don't think I've ever seen anyone so diligent about research. To be honest, I've never had access to so much information. Oh, I know the feeling. <laughs> Small town, huh? Uh, same. Uh, oh, let me get that for you. Shit, I'm so sorry. Ah, it's all right, it's all right. Hey, really, don't sweat it. I knocked over a shelf my first week here. That's pretty bad. <laughs> wow, uh, you didn't have to actually say that. Uh, sorry, I just, I say things, I don't know, they pop into my uh, head and I... Would you relax? So, are you a hobbyist, a writer, a morbidly curious reader of uh, historical accounts? Transcriber, for entities' experiences and accounts of people who've interacted with them. My old boss said we helped keep society meshing well. Like we held the community together. Thank you for your patience. It is now safe for you to leave your homes. In fact, we ask that you go outside. There is something remarkable happening in the sky. There will be an eclipse tonight, and it's going to be beautiful. Why don't you take a look? Oh, I wouldn't know anything about that. What? Does being a librarian keep Siligon from ripping out the liveries of priestesses who happen to wear the wrong set of robes when stopping by their bank? Because I've informed Siligon that you can't just go around eating livers, and mediated the discussion between them and the victim's temple. You ever do that? Uh, not, uh, really. Fuck, sorry, I mean, thanks for helping me track down this stuff. I like your tattoo. Is this some kind of constellation? Wait, I've- Are you still inside your home? Why not come out and join us? 
Let us join hands. Let us witness. Protect and preserve for all eternity. Tell me that you can hear that too. No, just don't go outside right now. <laughs> you can't just. I think this. I think this is how they know who to get for the serpent. Just don't go anywhere, okay? Stay right here. Stay inside? No. We should never stay inside at night. Why would we? If you are still inside your home, we are not sure why you are putting this off. Come join us. If you are outside, we will find you. Don't worry, we will be there soon. Are you still inside? Do not worry. We will be there soon. I'm sorry, I can't describe it, boys. Classified. Open that door. We are here. We are waiting. You must take a right at what's left. Left, 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 left. What's left? K-I-L-L, Kill FM. Keeping you company on the road to hell. Brought to you by Echoes in Between. You have had a number one hit in each of the last four decades. Doesn't that define you as an icon? I don't love words like icon. As if I'm some figure to be worshipped. No one should be worshipping me. Wasn't that what all artists want? To be adored by crowds of fans? Have them congregating outside your hotel and all that? I want people to listen to my music. They shouldn't be concerned about me as a person. If they are, I ain't doing my job right. Okay, what about adopting an anonymous persona, then? It's worked for people like Sia and Daft Punk, Buckethead. You could do something like that. <laughs> Anonymity wasn't an option back when I was starting up. Well, unless you wanted to be a session musician for your whole life. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just not interested in playing other people's music. Okay, so if it's not the adoration you're after, then why do this? Why be a musician in the public eye? I'm chasing something. Chasing what? Success, I guess. Haven't you achieved that? There's always more to chase. And what is your key to success? My key? The right instrument and the right sound. It's interesting you say that. Your guitar has become another element of your legend, so to speak. The vintage Lake Placid Blue Fender Strat. Took a long time to get the sound on that guitar right. But once I got it... And how did you get that sound right? It's a hard thing to explain. You just kind of... know. You know? I booked a gig back in 79 at the Whiskey. It was a big f***ing deal playing that place. Especially as a chick, but double especially as a solo act. I was in between bands at the time. Didn't particularly want to be playing on my own, but... I didn't have much choice. So I'm walking to the club down the Sunset Strip. Guitar case slung over my back, worried about the D-string I'd busted back in my apartment when I was warming up. And I hear this voice. 
coming from the alleyway behind the club. Beautiful tenor, just ringing through the night air. Against my better judgment, I swing into the alley to find the source of the voice. There's this kid there, probably mid-twenties at the most, but from far away, he looked pretty frail, like one of the run-of-the-mill smackheads you used to see all over LA in those days. He's stumbling over himself, slamming into one brick wall after another, until he plops down in a dirty puddle, drunk, stoned, I don't know which, but he ain't right. I go further into the alley to see if the guy's okay. If he noticed me, he doesn't give any sign. And he starts singing again. This gorgeous high tone with a little gristle to it. Always wished I had a voice like that. I get right up to him, kneel down in the filth so I can look him in the eye. His face is rough. Sunken cheeks, scabbed over scratches he probably done to himself during a bad trip. Dark hair plastered to his forehead with sweat. He sort of makes eye contact with me, and his wrinkled little lips glitch into some kind of sneer. He croaks, Hey baby, and he makes a half-hearted attempt to reach out for me. You okay, man? I asked him. He sort of wobbled like he was going to fall over to the side. Hey man, you need some help? I tried again. He starts singing. It's so beautiful that I actually sit down next to him, the back of my jeans getting soaked in dog piss and vomit, and who knows what else is on the ground in that alleyway. What song is that? I asked him. He seems to register my question. He says it's his song. You wrote that man? Yeah, he says. He slurs his way through a story about how he came to L.A. because someone promised him a record deal. And then some shady producer stole one of his songs, handed it off to a teeny bopper heartthrob, made mint off of it. Nothing he could do. They didn't give him nothing for the song, not even a thank you in the line of notes. Sing it for me, man, I said. He seems like he's beginning to sober up now that he's been talking for a bit. He starts singing this song he wrote. His eyes are fixed on me, super intense, bright green eyes like a cat. Like he's looking right into my core. I swing the case off my back, take out my guitar, and start trying to finger the chords to the song he's singing. He's lighting up, this sort of bliss coming over his face as he closes his eyes and gives himself over to the music. He hits this note, this transcendent note that echoes through the alleyway, and he holds it. I stop playing. His head is back, his eyes closed. He's just absorbed into the space where the music is coming out of him, using him like a vessel, an instrument for the great beyond. That was the moment I slid his throat at the switchblade I kept in my pocket. I wanted that note, that pure, clean tone. 
his eyes opened immediately. But he didn't move otherwise. He's just sort of staring at me with those really intense green eyes as I hold a polishing cloth up to the cut to absorb the blood. His mouth's trying to form words. No sound was going to be coming out of his body ever again. It's all right, man, I said to him. You're going to live on. Your voice is going to live on. He's gurgling and bubbling for a long while. Then he finally flops over. I took a spare string out of my case, unraveled it, and ran the bloody cloth all the way along the frail metal wire. Then I strung up my new D-string, plucked it so I could hear the tone, rang like a f***ing bell. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't know how to define the right sound. I just know it when I hear it. Was, uh, was that your, uh, your first? Yeah. Week after that, I decided to form my own band. Put an ad in the back pages. This chick comes into audition. Singer and a drummer. She was a drummer, but she had a real pretty voice. I got her into the storage room of the bar where I was auditioning people, and... Yeah, she's been my A-string ever since. She's been getting a little shrill lately, though, so I'm on the lookout for a replacement. Sometimes that happens, you know? Voices that used to be perfect start to get above themselves. Don't want to work with a group anymore. I've had to replace my low E like five times. It is not easy to find a good fucking bass voice, let alone one that no one's going to miss. I'm not about to go around stalking opera houses, you know? <laughs> Man, that would be difficult. Yeah, so, you know, if any of your listeners want to donate to the cause, hit me up, huh? <laughs> you know, I don't doubt that there's someone out there listening who's willing. All right, let's get ready to play the second single off your latest album. Shall we continue? Where the leaves fall purple. New developments now coming out of the Mojave Logistics corporate retreat mystery that some, including myself, have taken to calling Mojave Gate. The most recently to come out of Mojave Gate shows what by all accounts can only be called a ritual taking place at the retreat. People on their knees in front of what appears to be a cocoon of webbed smoke. Am I hearing this correctly? Yeah, you sure about that? Yeah, okay, yeah, a cocoon of web smoke and floating dust. In the video, we hear a voice believed to be Stephen Sheridan, Vice President of Human Resource Resources. His wife claims she has not seen or heard from him since receiving this message. The following may not be suitable for all listeners.
Random Tuts. You're listening to K-I-L-L-F-M, keeping you company on the road to hell. This next segment of the show is sponsored by the Supernatural Protection Company. So please, enjoy the thing in the throat of Elliot James. It did not happen all at once. The change was gradual, at least to start. Just a slight feeling of discomfort in the back of their throat. No worse than something sticky leaving a residue on the way down, or a pill struggling to reach the stomach. Elliot James barely noticed it. An occasional tickle that was easily ignored. They went about their life. Work, eat, sleep. Repeat. Nothing worth lingering on. Nothing that would have helped. But as the seasons transitioned, Elliot started to feel it. Most often, it felt like food was getting stuck on the way down. Some unknown blockage getting in the way. And then it would gradually lessen, bit by bit, until it was once again just discomfort, they felt. But it wouldn't stop happening. And as the weeks wore on, it became harder to ignore. Larger chunks found themselves caught. But worse than that, Elliot could swear they felt something in there. Something that was growing. Occasionally, it was so undeniably there that their body would start acting on its own, trying to force it out. A movement of the throat, a cough, occasionally just emptying the contents of their stomach altogether in an effort to dislodge the thing. A piece here and there, small bits that clearly weren't all of it. Sometimes it was a slimy thing like mucus. Others, a hard mass tinged with something the color of blood. Proof that something was there that shouldn't be. Its presence becoming impossible to ignore. As time passed, they could almost feel how more and more food was disappearing before it even reached their stomach. How they were having to eat more and more just to get enough past the thing. It was getting hungrier. And then it happened. The first time Elliot choked on their own words. It was small, simple, just a see you later, but it wouldn't come out, stuck in the throat like everything else and consumed by the thing. It no longer mattered where it came from, what it was. The thing in the throat of Elliot James was too hungry, too greedy. It ate the words from their chest, the food from their mouth. How long until it started consuming the air from their breath, the blood from their veins? The panic was overwhelming. They felt it filling every part of them, the desperate need to run, despite being powerless to escape. 
the sharp urge to claw out their own throat just to get at it, to get rid of it, was barely contained. It was just all too much. Elliot felt the bile rise from their sickened stomach, the burning acid making its way towards the thing, a last-ditch effort to dislodge whatever it was and escape this nightmare. Only for it to seemingly disappear, just like everything else. Elliot James was not fortunate enough to be protected by our insurance offerings. But that doesn't mean you have to be as vulnerable as they were. We are proud to provide coverage for all things spooky and mysterious during and after the Halloween season. Give us a call and one of our experienced customer service agents will be happy to walk you through the options. Do you want to try something new? Do you want to change your worldview? Perhaps it is time you discovered ego death. You are never going to reach your destination. You're listening to KIWLFM, Kill FM, keeping you company on the road to hell. This next segment, The Rookie, is brought to you by the Liminal Lands. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey, kid. Let me drag a chair up next to you. I get it. I do. This is hard to wrap your head around. <laughs> no, don't try and speak. Let me say what I want to say. You need to hear this. Maybe I can make this a bit easier for you to, to understand. To accept. I'm not saying you have to get used to the whole thing. But you're still green. After 35 years as the sheriff of a small town like this, I've seen it all. Or at least, I've seen enough horrible things you might as well say I've seen it all. Honestly, did you expect your first Halloween overnight patrol to be uneventful? It's Halloween, and small towns like this one have their own fair share of rot. Hell, they even have more than their share of rot. Cancer. Writhing around. Poisoning the heart of the community. Oh, it disguises itself well enough. Puts on its best Sunday clothes. Mingles with the deacon. Shares its recipe for that potato salad they brought to the last potluck that was just divine. Then goes home and beats its wife and children until they can barely breathe. Throats raw from screaming their pleas of mercy, which go unheard from not only the next door neighbors, but apparently God as well. Or sets in like the mother who just can't stand it anymore and accidentally leaves her newborn in a locked car in the middle of June while she spends two hours shopping and only buys one can of ravioli. Look, what I'm trying to say here is that sleepy little towns have just as many terrible people per capita as any New York or Seattle. They just don't get seen as often. It's a numbers game. But it doesn't mean they don't happen. Maybe it's better that it doesn't happen as often, but hell, kid. Maybe it just makes it that much worse when it does happen. And yeah, even by the standards of bigger cities where it happens more often, this is a pretty gruesome scene. 
I know you didn't expect to see something like this. And just wandering in on it? That makes it that much worse. If it's called in, you're responding. That makes it at least a little bit better. Gives you a bit to mentally prepare for it. As much as you can prepare for something like this. It gives you just a bit to set in the emotional attachment we can use as a shield from the horror this job sometimes holds for us protectors of the peace. I'm not through yet, kid. Let me finish. Can't you see I'm trying to make all this a bit easier for you? I can't promise you'll come to accept this by the time I finish, but the possibility is there. So don't you think it's worth trying? Mm-hmm. Good. Now where was I? Gotta stretch just a bit. This old body takes time to get over any exertion anymore. You wouldn't know anything about that yet. Ah, protectors of the peace. That's where I was. Yes, that's what we are. And peace just doesn't mean going to and from work without worrying about being mugged, but also peace of mind. We deal with these atrocities so the common folk don't have to. We protect all the peace. I take comfort in that fact. I think you should too. Wrap yourself up in it like a big old security blanket. You know why this happened on Halloween, don't you? Mm-mm. It isn't because of anything to do with all Hallow's Eve or any other bullshit like that. There's nothing special about the day, it's just a day like any other. No, it's because all the kids and most everyone else are down by the First Baptist Church at the trunk or treat, making it easier to get away with something like this. No kids to hear them being abducted, no neighbors to hear the chainsaw or anything else that happened after they were brought here. Just the opportunity, plain and simple. The look in your eyes tells me that some of this is getting through to you. That maybe you're starting to accept our place in all this. Am I, kid? Am I getting through to you? Uh-huh. Good, kid. That's real good. Because that cancer of a small town I was so poetically talking about earlier, the one I described as the father who abuses his family or the mother that committed infanticide, well, it isn't just poetic. Those are real people. And that's the two bodies laying here in front of you. Hmm? Well, maybe not yet, but eventually they would be. Or some other foul manifestation of that cancer. Eventually that cancer eats its way into everyone. I'm just excising it like any good surgeon. And just like any cancer, the earlier the better, before it can show any outward signs. I didn't want to have to explain all this to you yet. I wanted more time to prepare you. But you showed up early. I guess I should have expected someone as green as you would. Oh, there's no need for that. I can see you understand now. So I know you understand why I have to do this. Don't struggle. The more you struggle, the quicker your blood will pump onto the floor. Characteristically spooky untrue stories. Ah, who are you? Mr. Lovecraft? Uh, Edgar, there are people arriving here. Howard, we're not having this conversation again. And we are back with our ongoing coverage of the vicious attack on Mojave Logistics by a group known only as Pagan. Nathaniel Godwin, CEO of Mojave, has released this message on the company's official Metaverse feed. 
We ask that you listen closely and please remain silent as he speaks. Recent musings and altered video posted online in the past two days have hinted at Mojave Logistics participating in untoward behavior. Rumors of mass ritual and summoning are all entirely unfounded. Such presentations of our recent corporate retreat, currently on the front page of every disreputable news site in the country, have been fabricated from whole cloth. While Mojave, While Mojave Logistics, Logistics was the victim of a small-scale dirty bomb attack perpetrated by a left-wing terrorist cell and incurred a human cost in that regard, we have never and will never sacrifice employees at an altar of any sort. Reports to the contrary are manufactured and will be litigated in both the court of the state of California and public opinion. Let this, let this also be a blanket, be a blanket statement to all journalists, journalists who are currently, currently investigating an entity, entity we, have we have supposedly created outside of Blythe, California. These rumors are libelous, and trespassers, trespassers found on Mojave's logistics property designated as codename Wireland will be prosecuted. We ask that you please avoid this area as we investigate this egregious attack and mourn with the family members who have lost their loved ones. K-I-L-L-F-M Brought to you by Desert Skies. Don't you mean Desert Dies? This isn't how I thought it would end. Once again appear before me, empty-handed. I had your money, I promise. Mikey can back me up. He counted it before I came over here. Then what happened to it? I was mugged. Were you? Well, that's funny. Because Mikey says you weren't mugged. He says you gambled my money on a bad horse. I don't like it when people use my money to participate. In activities, I'm becoming a member of my organization. Yeah, well, Mikey's a goddamn liar. Maybe so, but that doesn't change the fact that you have once again failed to meet the obligations of our arrangement. I was mugged. I am sure this has happened to you. An unfortunate thing, a mugging. You have my sympathy. Thanks, boss. I knew you'd understand. You have my sympathy, and your brother has my condolences. Mikey, you rat. Boss, don't do this. I'm... I'm... I'm driving a car. I'm not suddenly aware that I'm driving a car. I'm just driving a car. I'm driving a car in the desert. Reminds me of my stepdad's place out in Arizona. Not the way I preferred to spend my summer, but in the end, my mom had enough of him, and I got to say goodbye to the scorpions and pissed off rattlesnakes and those goddamn tarantulas. Not to mention the relentless heat and dust storms. This desert is different than that one. I can remember nights 
when the Arizona desert was lit up by the light of a full moon. You could see where you were walking for the most part. That big bright orb in the sky was something to look at, especially in contrast to the mountains on the horizon. But the light of this desert is purple, and the subtle glow almost seems to come from the ground itself. And the moon, it's so monstrous, so ridiculously and devastatingly big, that you feel like it's going to fall out of the sky and land right on top of you. I look at the steering wheel, a tri-shield in the center. This car, it's a Buick. I see lights ahead, a neon sign, purple and orange. Desert skies, like that song from a decade ago. As I get closer, I can see it's a gas station. I pull in. Maybe someone here can tell me where in the hell I am. Greetings, traveler. Welcome to Desert Skies. Tall, lanky. He has black hair and a fair complexion. 26, 27. He looks nice enough. Where am I? Desert Skies. No, not the name of the gas station. Where in the world am I? What state am I in? Judging by the look on your face, I'd say you are in a state of confusion. I turn and see a man of girth and remarkably small stature. His beard is something to behold. He holds a burrito in his hand, takes a bite. What Mac means to say is you're dead. A threat. Who in the hell does this punk think he's talking to? I reach for my gun. I'm dead? How about you're dead, asshole? The gun isn't there. I reach into my pocket for the switchblade. Nothing. Tandy is dead, but he's not an asshole. Most of the time. Now, let me make you a burrito. I don't want a burrito. Fine, I'll pick for you. Oh, you should try Lawrence and Debbie. They taste amazing. What do you mean, they? The people inside, silly. Normally, we don't get two people in one burrito, but I guess the superiors made an exception. Superiors? Is he talking about the bosses? Oh my god. I've heard of these guys. I thought they were a myth. The butchers. Normally, the bosses would just blow a guy's brains out. But there were stories of what happened to those whose disloyalty went above and beyond the norm. All I did was lose some money on a bad horse. They wouldn't send me to the butchers, would they? Yet, here I am with these two sick assholes and no way to defend myself. And my God, they're taking their victims and putting them in a microwavable burrito. It's so yummy. Listen, fellas, you got the wrong guy. I'm just gonna get back in my car. Buke Skylark, one hell of a car. One hell of a car. Let me go, and I'll turn tail and head back the way I came. Oh, I wouldn't try that. Yeah, because if you do that, then you'll be a burrito. You don't want us to eat you, do you? Mac, you're scaring our guest. It's been real, fellas, but I ain't gonna be your burrito. I run out the door and head for the car. The short one 
chases me outside. Hey, don't run away. I want to show you the basement. Not today, you son of a bitch. I hop in the car and turn it back in the direction I came from. Hitting the gas, I see the butchers in the rearview mirror, standing, watching, then running. Then I look back at the road, and... I can't believe what I'm seeing. It's a herd. A herd of giant tarantulas blocking the road. This can't be. This place, what is it? Then I remember what the little one said. That's one hell of a car. That's one hell of a car. One hell. Hell. My mother always said that this was where the path would lead me if I didn't repent of my gambling, womanizing, drinking. She didn't know the half of it. I look in the rearview mirror and see my torturers gaining on me. I look in front of me to see the horror lying ahead. This is where the path has led me, Ma. You were right. Then, one of the tarantulas turns to me and waves. One hell of a car. We have received a call here at KILL News, a whistleblower from Hollywood. Hey, my fucking door. Do you hear that? Fucking Who fucking is at your door? What is your name, caller? My name is Rowan Tamlin, and they are about to kill me. Is this on air? Put me on you air. Are on air, caller. We are getting a lot of mixed reports here. The thing that at the retreat, I sent the recording. I they they told us that we were gonna help change the world. They didn't tell us what was gonna happen. I swear, I swear, I didn't know. I never would have gone. I I need my family to hear this. I need them to know I would have never gone. I killed my friend Torrance. He told them no. He had people who rely on him to survive. He he tried to run, but they shot him. Who? They never said we had to give our lives. They never told us about who shot him? Can you slow down, Ruin? We're having a hard time understanding you. Mojave did, and they are at my fucking door. The president? He's gone. He's something else now. They lined them all up. The ones who had the vials under their seat. Like a syringe thing. They lined them up on their knees. You've seen the videos. That bomb thing is all bullshit. There was no bomb. No terrorists. Just them. Just fucking them. Oh my god. They're coming? Please, someone has to do something. Godwin, he's not human anymore. He's a... He's changed himself somehow. He used him as currency, like there were fucking numbers in some fucked up cosmic bank account. I can't explain. They all just whisked up into the air, and it's coming. It's coming for all of us. They turned it off. There's no sense in this. Please. Are you there? Caller. Caller, are you there? Are you there, caller? Shit rolls downhill. Now shut up and find it. You are approaching your destination. You are approaching your destination.
Please turn back. K-I-L-L-F-M. Keeping you company on the road to hell. Sponsored by The Madness of Chartrullian, The Book of Constellations, and The Love Talker. Everyone has that one scene that sticks with them for the rest of their lives. Something that made them turn the other way and left shudders down their spine. The thing that haunts their nightmares. And in those quiet waking moments when all seems lost, it just creeps in. Mine is this one, looking over the edge of the Killarney Bridge at night, not seeing, but hearing the rush of the water below. Now I know that's an 88-foot drop, but when you're looking down and all you can see is blackness, and all you can hear is a violent churn of the undertow beating the earth, and all you can feel is the gentle vibration of its force, you might as well be bended down to meet it face to face. And on a cold night like this one, The air feels like a ghoulish breath, just to remind you of the river's cruel intentions. It's a a spot I keep coming back to and have been ever since I was a boy growing up in this cursed place. It's not the fall from the bridge that kills them. Even on days when the water looks calm, it ain't. And this time of year, it's cold. You hit the water, and if you don't get swept away by the undertow, or sucked down into a whirlpool, or embedded feet first in the mud, you're one of the lucky ones who surface. But you won't survive the swim. It don't matter how strong of a swimmer you are, the river is stronger. Your body might be found by cadaver dogs weeks later, 50 miles downstream. At the very least, given your loved one's closure. Most of them, they ain't never found. The water is so thick with mud, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And the shape of the river changes frequently to satisfy its many changing moods. They're still down there, somewhere. Gobbled up by hungry forces of nature that we have no right to try to control or understand. I didn't grow up aspiring to be a ranger or anything like that. My degree was in psychology. My hope and intention was to lead people away from the edge, hand them a pamphlet, and see them home safely. I didn't anticipate that my job would end up with me pulling bodies from the water. In 15 years, I pulled up four dead, saved three, and watched two 
go in and never come back up. The question on everyone's mind is, why? Why so many? 44, in fact, is how many stood exactly where I stand right now. A patch of concrete decorated with a feeble chain-link fence and a sign with a 1-800 number on it and the promise of a kind soul on the other line who will convince you to go back to whatever broken life you were living and, well, break it less. I can't imagine living a life where I might walk up to this spot with God's eye bearing down, look down into the swirling black hell below, and see it as more inviting than whatever hell I was living. Well, tonight, I might be one step closer to understanding. My shift began like any other. I drove the old truck down the little dirt road to the ranger station at the edge of the water, just a click downstream of the Killarney Bridge. As always, I was 15 minutes early, so I could make a strong-ass pot of coffee. By 5.30 p.m., everyone else is usually out of there, and no amount of common courtesy could compel them to hang around long enough to start a new pot. They won't say it out loud, but they don't want to find themselves tangled up with the ghosts in this place. They leave that to me. Anyway, 12-hour shifts, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., Three days on, three days off. Two on, two off. I spend half my shifts watching a monitor and the little red light that turns on when there's motion detected on the bridge. I spend the other half out on the water. The sun had gone down behind a thick curtain of gray clouds. The kind of sunset that gives you no closure and instills the sense that winter is really just one long day punctuated by periods of darkness. A cold, colorless time of year, and the time when the most people try to end it all. It had been dark for about an hour. I took Chrissy out for a pass under the bridge and shone the spotlight up into the old ironworks. It's like looking up at the rib cage of a colossus. In its heyday, the bridge was painted a very proud shade of red. Now it was red with rust. I'd be lying if I said I never wished it would just give in to its condition and join the souls it's taken to the bottom of the river. Suddenly, something hit the water, just to Chrissy's starboard side. It hit with enough force to give her a good jolt. I reacted quickly, and I met the hand that emerged from the cold, black water and pulled the boy, not much older than 12 or 13, into the boat. For the life of me, I couldn't figure out where in the world he had come from. I'd just been shining my light up toward the old jumping spot. I didn't see him. Not motion sensors, not nothing. Yet, here he was. And he seemed just as confused as I was. The shock of the cold water can certainly do that to you. I wrapped him in a wool blanket and did what I could to help him regain his senses but nothing seemed to be getting through. We made our way back to the ranger station, and I made the kid a cup of hot chocolate, hoping that getting some heat in him would get him talking. It wasn't until I picked up the radio to call the incident in to the police that I heard his voice. A voice so cold and whispery, it might as well have been the wind. 
no, he said, in a sad, pleading tone. I don't want anyone to know. I said, there's no shame in asking for help, son. Is there anything going on at home that I should know about? Then continued the standard line of questioning meant to rule out domestic abuse or any need for child and family services intervention. No, he replied. I'm just embarrassed. I think I'd really rather just go home. Something in my bones just didn't feel right about the whole thing. But who was I to make assumptions? I was a teenager once, and knowing what I know about those who survive ordeals like this, they ain't likely to do it again. All that added up to my concession. Okay, why don't I just drive you home? That sound good? The boy nodded. And then I let him sit by the heater for a bit and finish his cocoa. As he sat there, I watched him from behind and noticed that he had this strange look about him. He was sitting on his knees with his little feet sticking out behind him, looking a little too big for his scrawny little body. In that position, it was the treads of his shoes that got my attention first. He was wearing chuck-a-boots, which had been in style since I was around his age. And then I noticed that the cut of his jeans was a bit wider than what kids wore these days. My first assumption was that he could be homeschooled, which he dispelled almost as soon as the thought had entered my mind. My backpack. I left it at the top. And it has all my homework, he said. As he spoke, his gaze never left the glowing red metal of the space heater. I couldn't help but feel like... I'd seen the kid somewhere before. I was anxious to get him to a safe place because everything about him was sending up red flags all over the place. In hindsight, I should have followed my gut, which was telling me to call the authorities and to hang tight. But my help in nature got the better of me. Why don't we get you home? I asked after a while and loaded him up into the truck. We drove up the dirt road to the bridge above, him wrapped in that gray blanket, eyes straight ahead, saying absolutely nothing. It was a silence I was anxious to break. You like music? I'll turn on whatever you want to listen to. The who? He said. My mom won't let me listen to it. Ah, so you're into the classics? I asked, making an attempt to lighten his mood. Classics? He said, seeming genuinely confused. I didn't run into many kids who listen to The Who these days, at least unironically. The old truck rumbled to a stop near the jumping spot, and I could see the backpack leaning up against the median. I climbed out to get it, and that's when my flight response really kicked in. Every step I took toward it required every ounce of strength I could muster. I knew that backpack bright blue, with Superman in his famous pose, flying in to save the day. The one that I had been so jealous of, because Christmas after Christmas went by without one. I looked at it with envy just about every day as a kid, and the back of the head it belonged to. The head of my friend, who I now recognized as Joseph Turney. 
Joseph Tarney, who used to come over to my house, and we would listen to my dad's records in the basement, including The Who, because his mother wouldn't allow the influence of the devil in her house. He was sitting in my truck right now, and he was the first soul that the bridge ever took. I fought the urge to vomit as I turned around to see if he was still where I'd left him. The gray blanket lay in a crumpled heap in the passenger seat. Joseph was standing right behind me. He was soaked again as if I'd pulled him from the water only moments ago. I didn't hear him walk up. And at that point I wasn't convinced that reality had anything to do with it. He opened his mouth and said the words I knew he would say. It came out as a whisper. I dare you. I remember the tragedy as if it was happening again right before my eyes. Us and some other friends went to see the new bridge at night. And I dared each other to jump from one side of the bridge to the other. Back in that day, there was a, uh, a gap between the lanes. Well, that night, that gap looked a lot smaller than it actually was. Joseph was the first to take the dare. And the last. I remembered how he set that backpack down in that very spot before climbing up and over the railing. And he looked over his shoulder, laughing before leaping into darkness. We just watched in horror, not fully understanding what we had just witnessed. It took us 20 minutes to ride our bikes to the police station and report the incident. And by that time, there was little hope for any kind of rescue. Joseph's body was never found, which was a weight that the entire town never really recovered from. It was that tragedy that brought me back to Killarney, and one that would likely follow me for the rest of my days. Because I was the one who made the dare. Fifteen years on the job, and I'd silently hoped to find some closure, that saving others would serve as some sort of redemption. But something in this encounter was vengeful. It's clear that even after all these years, there's no redemption to be had. And I've left myself little else to live for. And now I stand right in the spot from which I watched Joseph take that fatal leap. An old man, tired of living and scared of dying, is that stupid old song guy. I dare you. We here at KILL News would like to apologize for the unfortunate prank we were all subjected to last night. We have been contacted by the police and ensured that the perpetrator is alive and well and in the jail where they belong. We are also happy to inform you 
that arrests had been made in the tragic attack on the corporate retreat we previously reported on. Three members of the terrorist organization Pagan are currently in police custody. We would like to thank the Riverside Sheriff's Department for their decisive response and timely handling of the situation that could have gotten further out of hand had they not been here to protect us. In other news, a catastrophic explosion has occurred in downtown Blythe, destroying countless homes and businesses in the heart of small-town America. We will keep you updated on this story as it happens. K-I-L-L News, brought to you by Mojave. by Agent Mulder. Performed by Agent Mulder, S. O'Halloran, Flynn Lee Simmons, Taft the Something, Maddie Gerard, Survival of the Artist, Mr. Iron, Clay Clark, and Kimberly Billington. Vocal Chords was written by Jessica Burson. Performed by Jessica Burson and Bronson M. With sound design and music by Bronson M. The Rookie was written and produced by Wayman Alexander and performed by Clay Clark. The Thing in the Throat of Elliot James was written and produced by Saf the Something with sound design and additional voices by Joseph Rutledge. One Hell of a Car was written and performed by Jared Carter. I Dare You was written and produced by H.M. Radcliffe and performed by W. Keith Timms with music by Aud Andrews. K.I.L.L. News was written and designed by Joseph Rutledge Featuring Justin Hellstrom, Esther Ellis, Randy Lovings, Clay Clark, Saf the Something, and Agent Mulder. Please visit our website at kill-fm.com for more information on the creators who contributed to this program. Good night from all of us here at KILLFM, including me, Robin Johnson. And don't forget, don't forget to keep your eyes on the road. road, 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 road. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!